Hello and welcome to our Ackerman Center podcast, where we'll explore Holocaust-related topics during the time of our new virtual reality. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Valente, Visiting Assistant Professor of Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. My guest today is Dr. Niels Romer. He is Interim Dean of the University's School of Arts and Humanities, the Stan and Barbara Rabin Professor of Holocaust Studies, and the Director of the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies. Hi, Dr. Romer. Hi, Dr. Valente. Good to see you again. Another week has passed. It's Sunday again. Finally, and we're almost getting ready for the finale next week. But today we'll be discussing episode six of World on Fire. So what did you think of this last episode? Well, I think this last episode had a lot to cover. And so it was very interested in advancing the various biographies. So we were in Poland, we were in Paris, we were in Berlin, we were in, um, in London. And so we moved around quite a bit and we learned more about all of the individual characters. While at the same time, it seemed almost as if the larger story of the war was put on hold almost for a while. And so it became very intriguing to see our characters Uh, caught out in so many different and very unfortunate ways often, but it didn't advance us as much as far as the big story is concerned. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that they're waiting for the last episode to probably, you know, have the big finale of what happens with the war. But I think you're right that in this episode, we see all of the individual characters really going into very specific uh, sort of narratives. And for me, I think, you know, this episode was really interesting to see just how very early on, depending on which character we're focusing on and depending their own biographies, they experienced that moment of the Nazi occupation of Paris very differently. And so, for example, if we could talk a little bit about, you know, from that first initial moment, how someone like Albert, who is the African-French jazz musician, is immediately keenly aware of what this occupation means for him. And we see others who might also be in kind of a vulnerable position, but that they're not immediately experiencing this the same way. And we could say, for example, you know, for Dr. Webster, it's really only after the Nazis occupy his apartment that he realizes how serious this actually, this Mm -hmm. moment actually is. No, it's a good point. I mean, what you're suggesting is privilege blinds a little bit, whereas one's vulnerability clears the eyes, so to speak, and makes them more perceptive to to approaching danger and, and they tend to, their fear in lots of ways is, is, is a good in indicator that the, the, what's coming is quite real and that therefore the characters that are more fearful are the ones that also end up being more perceptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that that's what it is. But even when they're more perceptive, they also can't help themselves in these situations, right? So I think that a big issue that we see coming up in this episode is those who are aware of the situation, so we could say the Jewish nurse, um, Albert, they're the ones who actually would need external help to get them out of France, for example, right? Yeah, but, but, you know, the nurse is an interesting case because she barely ever speaks too much, but she, you know, I think it was mostly not in this episode, but the one prior where it sounded as if she made a 
conscious decision. She wanted to stay put and help. Mm -hmm. So she, whatever she was able to see or not see was mm -hmm. one thing, but she made a conscious decision um, mm -hmm. to stay and, and, and to help. And, and, you know, others make similar, very conscientious, you know, decision, but they're not always work out that well. And so mm -hmm. I guess the, the most obvious example uh, would be Kasia's father. Yeah. And episode one, who takes the son to, to defend uh, Gdansk, you know, in front of the Germans with their little guns, and then, you know, comes out in what already looks like a heroic moment for him, right. which ultimately just is a senseless death. Uh, and he leaves his, his family mm -hmm. alone by, by dying a mm -hmm. senseless death. So that fear and choices also often result in different outcomes. that was surprising about this episode was from this initial moment where we see the Nazis marching through Paris and of course there's this moment when some of the officers come into the jazz club and there's this one specific officer who clearly seems to be fascinated by the music and at the end he comes up to Albert and gives him this pamphlet It says you know you should read the party's policy on jazz music and you should get out as soon as possible and I thought this was a really unexpected moment in in the episode where we would not necessarily expect the one who's coming to occupy to be somehow looking out to help this individual who he already knows will become a target of the nazi regime what did you think about this scene well i mean it brings up the bigger question first of all that the the third rise ideology doesn't always direct the action of its followers meaning there are good many german officers in paris who will enjoy french art and jazz music, regardless of what the ideology of the Third Reich is. So, you know, they, they are wearing the uniform, but it doesn't right. mean that they're always embracing in their own individual choices, each and every aspect of it. And the episode that you're mentioning has this element, I guess, of the quote-unquote good Nazi. Right. Which is always a little dubious, but I think here we're also meant to believe that that individual acts the way he does because he is also gay and therefore immediately recognizes in the other, mm -hmm. the, the, despite the of, you know, obvious differences, the similarities between them. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, then it you know, also highlights how in many ways, even for the side of the Germans, good many of them were, quote unquote, coerced or misled into their respective roles as well quite complicated what we what we're tapping into in this moment right but i think in this episode specifically the example of the roslers is a case in point right where we see that mr rosler thinks that by joining the party by doing all these things he will somehow be safe and we actually see how that very quickly backfires with very fatal consequences for his family right and so i think it it's, to me, it's interesting to see how the show chose to focus that fear is materialized is in the case of the German family. So there's something, I think, there that they're trying to expand a little bit on, on this idea. You know, what was that like for the... And we talked about this last episode, right? What was it like for the ordinary German family? Which is something that we usually don't see in TV shows that deal with this time period. No, that's true. Um, but I think the, the fear factor here that compels the Rossler to act in the way that they do is, is in a way, 
it is, you know, they understand the threat that is posed in particular to the life of their daughter, but they're also fundamentally misjudging it because just becoming a member of the party is not going to safeguard them. And, you know, that becomes more and more apparent. And what is telling then is respectively what he in particular is willing to do mm-hmm. um, in order to, to protect his family, which, you know, we don't want to give it away. Ultimately, mm-hmm. is, is, you know, of, to no avail. But he himself shifts out of this traditional role as a nice middle class man and is willing to do everything and then right. some to protect his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we also get a glimpse into what the Gestapo was capable of doing at this time too, right? So oftentimes when we're thinking about World War II, we are often focusing on what that meant for the vulnerable categories that we have already discussed. But in this case, I think it was really interesting to see just how when Mrs. Rosler is taken in and put into this kind of humiliating situation, right? We just see the absurdity of that system but I think that, yes, but you also had a very, very clear sense that this was, again, a clash of, of social classes as well. Mm-hmm. So in lots of ways, the Gestapo officer was also humiliating her because she was per- perceived as a thing to be of a higher social class. And he was, quote unquote, making her learn something, you know, on the level of, of an elementary school. Yeah. about the virtue of German milk. So, but that's, I think, also, you know, the, the part that we could see here, the appeal, so to speak, of, of the Third Reich, particularly with the Gestapo officer, but also with the employee in Rossler's um, office, how for them, respectively, becoming a member of the party, endorsing their policies, becomes this really empowering um, experience for them. They're all of a sudden become superior to those that had been, you know, the higher ups before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also an interesting episode. Lots of things are happening in England. Uh, Let's cross the channel. Um, Also, we've we've had a, you know, really popular, a famous uh, individual who liked our Instagram post. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Julia Brown, who plays Lois Bennett, the singer who is pregnant in in this episode, liked our post. And we haven't actually talked a lot about her character, but I think, especially in this episode, we see she is not only born between Harry, now she's pregnant, but he's married, but as well as with dealing with her father and her brother, right? So she becomes the the main source of connection between the family. She's the one that's holding it together. But in this episode, especially, we see that she's having to make some really difficult decisions as far as what, what her future might hold. I think she's also an interesting character insofar as she's uh, clearly an example of where we can see lots of ways that she's thrown into these, you know, difficult moments. And that in lots of ways marks that episode as part of the war stories, right? Mm-hmm. So we learn through her something about the war and the ways in which it affected the home front and women, and particular younger women. But then I think we do that also in a very interesting ways. And I, I, I still find the, the figure of the father really interesting because mm-hmm. he very clearly does suggest that there's this um, ongoing history that he had served in the First World War, was traumatized, um, and that therefore, respectively, now his two children have always had to deal, so to speak, in a different way with the memory of the First World War in a very little sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, you know, something that on and off, it's not a big 
topic in, in you know thus far, but we've seen the memory of the First World War as being here and there an issue. It pops up, you know, clearly on the side of of, of the kind of of her biography. Mm-hmm. But we also saw that in Cassia's family, yes, that the memory of the First World War, you know, in lots of ways was brought out. And so we see then, therefore, that these these lives are not not just shaped by the immediate now, but also very much by these larger right. historical changes of society, culture, gender, mm-hmm. and politics of, of the of the first decades of the 20th century. So in that respect, I think TV show or not, it's it's quite sophisticated in the way the these biographies are being constructed. Definitely. And to a smaller extent, something else that we see happening in this episode is the emergence of resistance networks. And we see this just very briefly, you know, in the case of Lois's brother, Tom. He gets left behind at Dunkirk. He's not able to make it back. And then he finds himself in Paris. And they're able, you know, with the assistance of Dr. Webster and others, he's able to actually be smuggled out and literally walk through Paris, Spain, through Gibraltar. And we... Hopefully we'll see in the next episode if he makes it home safely. And I wonder if we'll see more of this because I think the work of the resistance at this time, this moment in the summer of 1940, when the Nazis occupy Paris, is the moment that we have these huge waves of refugees trying to leave from France, right? And that is, of course, the route that they're taking through Spain and Portugal, which is uh, what we we taught a class this semester about this, right? That's right. So in lots of ways, yeah, there's still an escape route, so to speak, available via Spain and then into into Portugal to Lisbon. But I think resistance, I mean, remember also, this has been told from a British perspective. So the history of resistance will become now quite important, in particular since one of our other protagonists mm-hmm. is getting a potentially very dangerous, if not, you know, ultimately, you know, deadly assignment. Mm-hmm. And that is... Harry is supposed to go back to Poland. Mm-hmm. And so we, we see, you know, that as well. And I think England will have that role that it, you know, becomes involved in the Polish resistance as much as it will, you know, also be involved in the French resistance. Resistance is the, the very new story that hopefully we'll learn more about tonight. Yes, and it will be the season finale so we'll be really exciting to see what happens um, and I'm sure it will be a fantastic episode and we'll be back next week to talk more about it absolutely thank you Dr. Romer thank you Dr. Valente bye 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 thank you for listening you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ackerman Center or on our website at utdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. Until next Sunday. Today's episode was produced, edited, and engineered by Sarah Valente.